it's lovely to be joined uh, today by Efrat First and Nikki Kaiser. Nikki uh, and Efrat, we've worked together a little bit over um, this this last year, but um, just say say hello. <laughs> hello, Steve. There we go. It's so lovely to see you today. Um, Efrat, you're in Jerusalem. Um, yes. Nikki, uh, seemingly with the um, the wonderful background picture that you've got up on on this uh, video yeah, conference. I'm, yeah. I'm telling myself I'm in the middle of the Pyrenees. I might be stuck in rainy Norwich, which is also very nice, but <laughs> I am telling myself I'm up a mountain somewhere. Okay. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here uh, in Durham in the northeast of England and it is snowing um, and, and I'm looking forward to getting out and doing some sledging later. But we're t- today we're going to just talk a little bit about um, some of the things that appear in the Science of Learning program, some of the uh, key topics that were um, that are mentioned in there, but also um, the approach that we've taken in making the program. And and I'd really like, I'd like to start with the first unit that appears in the program, where we're focusing on on kind of um, understanding some of the, the kind of key characteristics of how people learn and what the evidence tells us about that and in in that unit we begin with talking about how the brain learns and then looking at the prerequisites for learning something new then how we can make learning meaningful and finally how knowledge can become useful and i'd just like to start by saying well what prompted the structuring of it like that why is it structured in that way and and that that'll kind of give us a nice grounding for some of the other questions that we'll talk about later so who wants to start who's eager Jerusalem Um, or the Pyrenees yeah I can I can say a few words about it because I think it's um it's really something that we dealt with quite a bit and I think at first we wanted to have a clear narrative uh with um beginning and middle and and and, and some anecdotes and some layers. And, and the story that we are telling is about the learning process. And I think that this is a complex and maybe a vague concept that we wanted to make more concrete, more real, and help everyone that is involved um, like to tell where they are along the process. And so I think that the first part is about the entire thing. What do, What is the machinery that we have there what is it doing what is entering what is the product like they have the entire picture and this is the first part like how the brain learns and and then after I think students teacher students had the idea in mind we decided to go like piece by piece the the first Mm. uh, first stages first like you have to have like the prerequisites the knowledge uh, you have to have enough space in your head in order to to process it, and then how you put it together, and then after it's put together, how you actually use it. So it's the story, I think, of the learning process. We did talk about this quite a lot, didn't we, before we started doing anything, and and I think you know later on we're going to talk about novices and experts and I was really coming at this I, I was the novice and 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 if that's the expert and, and we knew that from that and but I think that's really important for me as a, a teacher I, I think it's it's so important to know why you do things as well as what you do and how you do them and I've learned so much from Efrat over the years that I think 
for me, you, to be able to develop and to be able to reflect and be able to apply what you learn, you need to understand it first. And so I kind of came in at this with the with the novice's head on on all the questions that I wanted to ask Ifrat as a teacher of why we do this. And um, and we said, didn't we, at the time, we want to kind of walk the walk. This is this is how we think you should learn. This is how we're going to structure the course. Mm. Um, and so we're kind of laying the foundations at the beginning. So it it was something we we thought and talked about quite a lot beforehand with kind of Efrat's expert mm. knowledge of how all of this works and my kind of good <laughs> what does this look like <laughs> in the classroom then and, and it was and I, I agree the narrative we always said was really important yeah and I think you know I I kind of came at this as well from um, a, a similar position I think of that you know uh, I have some some expertise in creating you know online professional learning but you know Efrat's deep expertise in this particular area was the thing that had to to guide that narrative but then it was also something that then had to be a narrative that was going to be um, experienced and understood by novices by people who don't have that so you know that and, and that presented some really interesting challenges I think in terms of like the communication but actually the story is the thing that makes sense of it all of you know of, of all of us starting out building knowledge in certain areas and developing expertise and so on and so on and and then uh, what I really loved about the process was kind of engaging you know with the research evidence in discussions with you know with you and with Efrat um, then kind of thinking well how does that translate into well, what would a teacher actually do at this point and and in some ways particularly when we're doing the, the stuff of unit one holding off and kind of going okay don't do anything just yet right there's always that temptation of like learn a little bit and then go and do lots of stuff but um i think um what i hope we've kind of managed to do is certainly through that first unit is to tell the story of the learning process um, to give some real insight into it and some little kind of practical examples of it. But then it's in units two and three and four and further on from there that it's, you know, we get into that stuff of, OK, now let's get into doing something with this, practicing using it, trying to make it fit, you know, with your context and 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 actually useful for the specific learners that you're that you're working with. So if we've got an idea of like the, the you know why why we structured it like that you know aligning with the evidence telling the story of a learning learning process one of the things that that comes early on in that story is this this uh the, the sections that that focus in on the machinery on the kind of cognitive architecture or a, a thousand and one of the metaphors that we could use to describe it but these systems of attention and working memory and long-term memory and, you know, we could make a thousand arguments for why it's important for a teacher or a leader in a school to know about these things. But why do you think it's important for teachers and leaders to know about attention, working memory and long term memory? So I think that very generally it's important because each of the system is um, crucially involved in the process of learning, of learning anything. But then we're also... Uh, very unaware of how they work because our uh, perception like our aware awareness cognitive perception of how we learn is limited to what we can feel and uh, again be uh, be aware of while these systems uh, take care of for example the attention and working memory system make it uh, very like a, 
they make a selection. We are only aware of a very small part of it, while the other parts are also working at the same time. So I think it's very important. But then again, uh, we are not consciously aware of these things. And for example, we don't know what we are not perceiving. We have no idea how, how long-term memory is actually organized, and we cannot grasp, grasp it conceptually. So for me, I think it's important to make these things more concrete and then think about how they actually play the part when we learn. So mm. I don't know. This is in, a, in very general terms then. We yeah, because yeah, I, I think what you talk about with kind of the concrete examples there is, is really important because I think what are the what are the tools, what are the mechanisms we can draw on as teachers? I mean, I think what, what I have to say is we've never said at any point that kind of professional experience and, and the kind of thing of being a teacher in a classroom that is still really important um but I think what 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 are the other things that are left to us well there's things like observing people reflecting on practice you know copying practice listening to other people and so on which is all really important reflecting on what you did yesterday and why it didn't work and so on um but but sometimes you, you just need to know why so I was thinking of a really I remember, really remember, really, really vividly watching a, a practical um, lesson when I was doing observations of teachers before I became a teacher. And, and for me, I, I just I'd never I hadn't been in a classroom uh, for, in a secondary school since, you know, for, for a couple of decades. And, and it just felt like absolute like mayhem. In it. And it wasn't, <laughs> by the way, I, I don't know if that was to remember, but it wasn't. But I just remember thinking, God, there's so much going on everywhere. And that thing. So those, those, those things that, you know, I probably in my first practical lesson I ever took, I probably said things like, OK, right. So everybody put your books down, go back, go and get a, a, a volumetric plot, you know, do this, go and pick up a tripod, come back here, light your bunsen. And I probably gave a whole range. That, that's an extreme example. But there are things that we do all the time. And probably at the time I would have felt, oh, why aren't they listening? Why do they keep asking me questions? Why do they keep, I, I said a tripod. You know, <laughs> why are you not doing this? And, and it's those things that over time as a teacher you develop. And of course you do. And maybe some people had a bit more common sense than I did. But they're just kind of understanding that you have to break things up. You have to chunk things up. People can only take one, to, you know, certain amount of things in at one time. Early years teachers know this. They live and breathe this. This is part of their whole makeup as a, a secondary school teacher I know that I made far too many assumptions about what people could do couldn't do take in and so on and just having that time to reflect on why that is allows you to come in just with a yeah it's another tool isn't it in to add to the professional experience and the observation and the and and so on so if if nothing else maybe it, it helps us learn a bit more quickly which again is what we're talking about it helps us become yeah. expert in being a teacher you know in a slightly more direct way sometimes yeah do you think it's fair to say that knowing more about these things about attention working memory and long-term memory just helps you to understand the the why you know the why why am I doing this thing why are they doing that yeah. why why are they not doing that and and it it does give you all the answers clearly it, and it's not as, as perhaps as easy as that but you know as I as I've kind of reflected you know more and more on on the material that's in the program and the the kind of structure of it the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is that so much of you know what I experienced 
when I was a teacher in terms of my own development was about teaching. It was and that like this sounds ridiculously obvious, but, you know, it was about here's here's a technique and um, here's a process. You know, here's a, a system to use to do some things. And it was all about, you know, the, the skills of a teacher without understanding that those things were supposed to support this other thing called learning about which I knew nothing. You know, I, I, I couldn't have told you really what it was. I knew that it was something that I was supposed to be developing, but I had no idea what it what it really was. And not only that, I didn't know what the kind of, you know, the starting point, the middle point, the end point might be in a process that looked like learning. So then, you know, responding to that question, why have you done that? I would only ever been able to say, well, because that's what somebody else did or that's what it says in the book, or it feels right to me, or um, that's the way I do things. So, like, you know, these things seem to open up an invisible process that's so important. And 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 certainly, you know, I, I kind of feel like in the, in the 10 years I was teaching, I knew nothing about it, nothing at all. Well, I think as well, it goes, it goes beyond that as well. There's a few analogies really did I remember my my first PGC mentor said to me that you know you can only you, you can scare if you want to if that's your thing you can scare in students into doing what you want them to do for a certain amount of time but actually that won't last forever and after a while they have to want to do or they have to believe that it's the right thing to do and and it's it's the same with this you know when when we talk about I, I do a lot of work with other teachers and and developing systems and 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 so on and and the first the most important thing in anything like this in any change or is to to get the buy-in from the teachers you're working with they, they need to know why they're doing it to want to do it to be ready to do it and so on because we've all anyone that's been teaching for any length of time will have been at one point given a checklist of things they have to include <laughs> in every single lesson and and you might do that for a while you might do it if you think someone's going to walk into your classroom and check you're doing it but ultimately if you're going to develop it and embed it into your practice you need to know why we're professionals we want to know why we're doing we don't just want to be told to do stuff and um, I think as well you know the, the analogy I was thinking as you were talking there Stuart was you know we talk a lot later about making meaning out of the stuff that we're learning but this is exactly what we're talking about you know we're, we're making teaching and the idea of teaching and the techniques of teaching and the process of teaching it has to be meaningful it has to mean something to us we need to know why we're doing it and it looks like you adding to that there Ephra are you Yes, I think that it's really related to what we said before, because we get so many advice like, and, and everything sounds uh, good and very effective. And you think to yourself, OK, I have to do it. But then it's too complex and there are too many good advice are, are out there. And then what I wanted to be able to do is to know when to apply each part, like if I get you should make your lessons very creative. So I would think, okay, but where in the process I should think about it, or I should be more clear and be more uh, explicit. So where in the process this is prioritized? So this is something that is very important for me. And I think it's related to both questions that I want to know when I should think about which component and also how to answer people that might, you know, come and tell me your lessons are not I don't know, uh, creative enough or mm. active enough or whatever they say, I would say, okay, but let's take 
care about this component in a different stage. So for me, I wanted to have something concrete, like compartments, even though the the, the learning process, you cannot um, really do it. But still, I wanted to have some kind of um, uh, a routine and uh, sequence that help me, you know, lower my own cognitive load when I'm thinking about um, teaching. And, that, and then that that allows you to make those choices if you want yeah. to be creative. If you, because I think back to my early days of teaching, and as well, I I did a lot of kind of things that people now are a little bit, um, I'd say, sniffy about, or they they're doubtful about, they're doubtful of the value of them, and so on. I did lots of music and lots of kind of activities and drama in science lessons. Now. I haven't totally left all that behind. But what the difference is now is that if I do something like that, I know why I'm doing it. I know what I think this is going to do to help people learn. I don't do it because I think, oh, this is a really nice thing to do in a lesson. This, you know, oh, this will make the kids really engaged. Well, what do I mean by that? Do I mean engaged so they're ready to learn? Or do I mean, oh, they're just going to like me? Or they're just going to go out, oh, we had a really good dance in science. You know, I, I need to know what the purpose is of what I'm doing and then then you're right that's just exactly right that then you can make those decisions and if someone says to you you shouldn't be doing this or you should be doing this you are able to say well I've chosen to do this because of this and and it gives you it empowers you I I, I, I hesitate to use that word because it can be used you know but it's true you you want to know why you're doing it what does engaged mean what does learning mean what do we mean by being attentive you know attentive what do we is it good attention or is it are they just looking at me without really kind of hearing what I say this this we want to know that when we're talking about learning when we're talking about remembering things do we mean remembering for the purposes of a test at the end of the lesson or do we mean next week do we mean remembering something so that I can just tell you what you said to me or do I mean applying it to something else what is it that I'm trying to do here and and that that's really important I think yeah I do the, the enthusiasm with which you both talk about this again it's like <laughs> it's, 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 it's such an infectious thing because because I think it is kind of empowering it, it it's it gives you know, it gives you the tools to make decisions um, in a in an informed way, and it can. I I think I keep thinking it sort of bridges the gap between all of the stuff that you could possibly do, all of the choices that you could possibly make, and then you know you in the classroom and you know trying to do the best for the students who are there, and well, like what's what's the kind of vehicle that you need to you know to join those things together, and it's. You know, it's some answers to those questions about, well, why? You know, what's what do these students need right now um, in yeah, order to, 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 to move on? And that, I mean, I'll be quick, but that's a really important point as well, because as teachers, you, you could always do stuff. There's always more you could do. You've always got this feeling you could do more for the people you teach. You would never, never stop. So sometimes it's good to say, I'm going to concentrate on this because this is the important thing and I don't have to do that. And and I think that is as, empower, as empowering yeah. and as powerful as anything else. What can I stop doing? I, I think, you know, your what you said reminds me some of my uh, earlier experience when I was just presenting these topics for the very first times. And I remember some really experienced teachers that I looked at with, um, you know, immense amount of admiration. And then they would come and say, you know, now you gave me, I don't know, a confidence 
to say what I know for years uh, and I just didn't feel comfortable to say even to my peers. So when you say empowering, this is the kind of stories that I think about. Uh, So it really, I have like some very concrete examples of people who who told me this gives me um, voice, for example. And this is something that I see in the, in the, you know, in the edu Twitter community all the time. And I wish I would, could see it in some other places as well. What you said there about, um, you know, people being able to almost kind of put words to the things that they knew, you know, to the, that, that, that kind of instinct of a teacher. Uh, but then, you know, here's a vocabulary for it. Here is, you know, in some areas, really, you know, extensive, you know, research evidence, uh, a whole exactly. community of people who have been working on on this stuff and helping us to understand more about it. It's, um, you know, there's something really kind of, um, I don't know, it takes the lid off, it enlightens and it empowers. And I think that's um, that's a really special feeling for, for any teacher. And that, that instinct is still important. I mean, I know I go back to this music analogy all the time, but, you know, you can you can be a really good musician. You can be a really technical musician. So but you need to know, you know, ultimately that instinct, that 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 musicalness, that that that, you know, whatever it is that makes you a musician and not just someone that can play the flute really well. And yeah. it's the same with being a teacher. I still do believe that you, you still need to bring yourself to it. But you still need to have done all those scales and arpeggios and all the the practice and and understand, you know, all the technique behind it. These techniques and that understanding is important, mixed with that instinct, mixed with your personality and your professional judgment and your experience. It it all comes. But it's so powerful to be able to name what it is. You're right. For me, there was a lot of, oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's why that didn't work. Or, oh, right. why that was something I always did oh you know actually in my PGCE year I used to quiz kids at the beginning of every lesson I didn't know nobody yeah. it was just the way I'd always it just felt right. I'm not saying you know anything about that other than and and that's why I do understand as well when people sometimes say well you're not telling us any new anything new it's it's yeah. something we've always done well yeah that's brilliant you've always done it let's just have a common language about those things that you might have always done but not everybody has always done or maybe we've all always done but let's just have a common way of describing it and understand why it is that we've always done those things or we haven't. In the programme we talk um, about the the differences between um, novice learners and those who have greater expertise and and I suppose you know we could we could apply this to the context of a teacher developing just as we could somebody you know in a primary school secondary school anywhere in in life but uh, again for for a teacher instinctively you kind of get that sense of when somebody has you know uh, is at a novice state with you know bits of knowledge and it's not all you know well connected or perhaps things like that but you know, it would be really interesting just to know how we actually characterise these things. What what are the characteristics of a novice, and and how is that different to how you'd characterise somebody who's developed greater expertise? Because um, if we're talking about helping people to de- develop and to put something more concrete onto these kind of abstract terms, let's let's have a go at that. So what what's the difference? Yeah. So I think that first. Uh, it's the amount of knowledge that you have, like the amount of pieces that you have there f- to work with. 
And then uh, a very, very important part of it is how you put these pieces together, uh, how you build the structure, how you organize those things. Um, so I think this is something that um, experts have. They have, it's not like a collection of pieces. It's, it's very, very structured. And then also um, using the terms of that we used in the program, how to, they know how to use it. They have um, a lot of experience in actually taking those stru little structures and using them in the real world. So they really know how to do it. So things are working and clicking for them. And, you know, in some places we talk about the schemas and scripts and things that you do automatically. Mm. Um, so I think that there are these are challenges that, novices have to to achieve sequentially and you know i think back that this is how we tried to sequence the content in the in the program as well yeah yeah and, and just can i pick, pick up on one thing there that i think is really important and this this is kind of you know was a something that dawned on me over time was that we're not talking about novice learners and those who have expertise as having kind of different cognitive architecture like the the machinery is not necessarily different but you know the uh you know the amount of what people know is different the connectedness of that knowledge the uh like the kind of the fluency of use of it that you know that's where we're looking at differences here but you know people learn in the same way whether you're a novice or, or an expert it's just that what you're bringing to the process perhaps is is different and a lot, a lot of it, I think, is the power of hindsight. You know, I talk quite often about hindsight that teachers have. Like, I know that this is going to be connected to something you're going to do next year, but you don't know that. I know that this connects really well with something that you did last week, but you probably haven't made that connection yet. And and I love, I, Efrat will know that I, I refer to her beautiful pyramid diagrams all the time, but there's one that I particularly love where you have the difference between a novice and an expert and then a teacher and it's it just encapsulates everything I think here because you know you can learn and you can become more expert in things but but what a teacher does as an expert and a teacher so not just an expert but a teacher as well is that you know what the child knows that you're teaching but also what they don't know and you also know um not just the stuff but the stuff around the stuff you know the kind of things they're going to misunderstand about the stuff you know the kind of connections that they want to make between you're the one that has that overview of the expert and the teacher you're the one that's able to help them make those connections that you've already made i saw a really interesting talk yesterday by chris dr christy turner who's a, a teacher um, but she's also a, a university lecturer. She's got a really good overview of all of this and she does a lot of research in, in chemistry education. And, and she just put up a, a symbol equation in chemistry and talked about a child, you know, a, a student looking at that for the first time. They see numbers, they see letters, they see it almost as an algorithm, whereas a teacher looks at it and kind of says, oh, well, they're talking about nitrogen there and they can see all the bonds between things. And they, they bring all sorts of knowledge to it that that gives it context. And, and that's the transition that we're trying to make, isn't it? We're trying to pull our students from seeing it as black and white numbers and letters to this is how it fits into chemistry. This is how it fits into a, an experiment that you might do next week. This is how it fits into a phenomenon that you might have read about here. And it, it, 
it's all of that, isn't it? So mm. I, this is why I'm really interested. I was really interested to learn about this from us, right? You know, what is it? And like you say, that the fact that it's still learning, you know, it's still we still learn in the same way, but we have yeah. this other stuff around us that the novice doesn't have. Yeah. I, I want to add something that I just thought about when you, you Stuart, uh, talked about the difference, which is not really a difference, like the system works in the same way. Uh, and then what you said, Nikki, about the process. And I want to kind of tell you a kind of story that when I was thinking about those uh, these um, pyramid model, uh, so it was a time when I, 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 I knew I wanted a concrete model and I was actively looking for something that would um, look the same for beginner and for like for the first stage and, and the later stages but then also demonstrate the difference between them. So this is why I also, I, yeah. um, so the pyramid model is you can have a very small uh, structure, which is uh, a triangle, but you can also have a very, very big structure um, that has a lot of smaller elements that are connected, but it's still a triangle and it still works the same yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I thought about it. I was kind of reviewing a few <laughs> options and thinking about one that would exactly like make this point and I hope I can uh, but do you know is it, the really fantastic thing there though is that you have just described how how you've done what Nikki was was talking about there in that you've taken this you know really highly abstract concept of you know the, the kind of constructive nature of knowledge um, and and not only do you have you know your own expertise that you've developed over time in understanding that you've then gone you know beyond that into the kind of teacher expertise of figuring out how to you know create a very neat and accessible way of giving other people that mental model that representation that you know that you have that then gives them access that brings them into the conversation about this um, in a way that you know enables again you know it's, it's the word kind of empowering but you know you can kind of um, be be a part of it and then start to kind of use it to apply to your own context how does this you know what, what are those building blocks if, if you're teaching um, 10 year olds um, something in mathematics what 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 should what you know needs to be there before what would come after and Nikki like you say there knowing that in um, some way down the line in that curriculum progression in that sort of structure that there's something there there are building blocks that will be put in but you can't put them in yet you know you, you cannot rush this um, because otherwise you know the pyramid collapses and having those kind of metaphors having those images I just think is one of the most powerful things uh, about this whole process because it just does exactly what we've been talking about it puts concrete um, you know uh, representations of, of really highly abstract things in, in accessible ways and I, I love it. I, I think maybe there is another important point uh, that connects what we talked about before about people expert people giving you advice <laughs> uh, and I think that the distinction between novices and experts is really important for that because, you know, so often we get advice for, for people that are very, they are experts uh, or, for example, advice that come from the work, um, like uh, professional work um, situations. And then people expect that they would be applied to, I don't know, elementary school. Yeah. Uh, so, again, <laughs> I think that making this distinction clear, both for teachers and for students, 
uh, it helps us uh, work with this some suggestions. I always sometimes yeah. I I always start and when I get some some ideas, those big ideas, how you some someone told me that we have to think about school and, and um, take some concepts about agility from the workforce to school. And then I said, yes, but we can't take every uh, concept yeah. that is working for these experts and think that it will be applied in the same way. So yeah. this is why I think it's really, really, really important to put this topic that we just talked about yeah. um, on the table very concretely. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the, the, the kind of um, idea about the sort of specificity of expertise to a particular domain you know, right. uh, really, you know, that if it, once once you really deeply understand that, then I think it's uh, it sets alarm bells ringing when somebody who has expertise in one area starts to tell you things about something else. Right. And, you know, and, and, and equally, I think for a teacher, it, it can be a really helpful thing because it, it, it you know, it gives again, it gives a vocabulary to the fact that you can't be, you know, an expert in absolutely everything. Expertise is hard won and it takes time. And, you know, it requires such a depth of, of thought and practice and, you know, attention that, you know, this is something that is, um, you know, it does, it's not a generalizable kind of thing that, you know, you're just an expert in absolutely everything. It kind of take, <laughs> takes us off the hook a little bit, you know, that I, I can develop my expertise in teaching, in teaching 11 year olds, in teaching 11 year olds chemistry or whatever it might be. But that doesn't mean that, you know, put me in a in a room with, I don't know, um, you know, a group of um, seven-year-olds that automatically I can just you know come in and tell you exactly how it's done it's just, and again it, it it kind of fleshes out that kind of thing that we all know as teachers that you know often you'll have parallel groups so you'll have I, I used to teach two year nine groups and and I knew that the the year nine group that had the lesson with me for the second time that week the same lesson the second time that week so it will be the second time I've yeah. taught that particular lesson it would always be a better lesson whatever I did it would always be a better lesson if not it doesn't mean that we should just teach the same lesson over and over again but it just it means that those those lessons that we those things that we pick up as teachers oh yeah they, they always struggle with this or oh they might have a little bit of trouble oh this explanation works really well or I've got to remember this example when I do it those things were just fresh they were at the yeah. front of my mind when I did it yeah. now again we know this any teacher will tell you this but again it's giving language to that and being able to and maybe then you can do something practical about that and you can think, OK, if I'm only teaching this group or this lesson once this year, I can make sure before I teach that lesson, I go back and look at what happened last year. I go back and look at what did the students get wrong? Yeah. What did they struggle with? And it, it, so it's not just understanding why these things, but it's also giving you, you know, practical means to kind of do better and reflect or just do as well as you did yeah. last year. Yeah. Always want to do better. We just want to do well, you know, and, and that's sometimes <laughs> enough. I think it's a really good advice. I also had the same experience and also other people that I know that if you teach the same thing twice the same week, then it's like amazing how how better you you, you become. And then maybe it's a good, you know, uh, practical advice that when you teach something new, you should do it like yeah. more than once and prioritize it over um, 
other considerations yeah. that might yeah i think it i think it took me about 10 years to get from uh, like in terms of my kind of um behavior management in classroom from um uh, kind of shouting and looking really annoyed um <laughs> to um oh, to, to just kind of oh really no I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you i'll tell you straight in my i don't know if it was my first year in teaching um, uh, literally, my my way. It, this was a sixth form group who they were just they were incredibly intelligent, very talented, and and I I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, anyway, and I got really irate because they hadn't done um, their homework and things like this. And I thought this was you know I needed to make a point. And I'm and and then I went out of the classroom to the store cupboard, which was literally just around the corner to get some books. And in the time that it took me to get into the store cupboard, they had barricaded me out of my <laughs> own classroom by putting tables and chairs against the door inside. You know, like it, so increasingly I'm getting backed into a big corner here. And, and so I then start shouting at the door um, to try to solve this problem and think, you know, you know, 10 years later, the way that I yeah. you know, would deal, deal with similar things was by looking, just a look, <laughs> you know, and just pausing yeah. and holding yeah. silence. And that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but that was 10 years to get to the, yeah. that point of, of a confidence in being able just to do that and hold it there with a gaze. <laughs> but, but actually, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, that's a really good. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about with attention was, you know, we know is a good practice that we'd, we'd like all the students to be looking at us all children to be looking at us before we say anything into it but I, I again I kind of knew and I was really strict about this I would never talk unless everyone was listening and but but on the other hand actually that that's more than just behavior management that's making sure that that, that the attention is on you and yeah. and knowing knowing why knowing why yeah, yeah. you're waiting an extra three minutes in a lesson that, that you're pushed for time in any way, knowing why that is a valuable thing to do and it is not a waste of time rather yeah. than thinking, oh my gosh, I've only got 50 minutes left to get through all this. I'll just carry on even if they're not listening to me. Well, if you know yeah. that the prerequisite for them to understand anything is to have their attention on you and actually it's your 50 minutes will be lost if they're not listening, <laughs> well, then you know that it's worth doing. And it's, so all of these things, yeah. again, you know, you pick these things up, but um, yeah. sometimes you just need to be told why maybe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's both knowledge and practice, right? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you can and, get away. <laughs> and I've had with with other things that I've done on you know on assessment, for instance, I've had teachers you know say to me, "Why did nobody tell me about this earlier? Why am Why am I only suddenly finding about this? I've been teaching for you know ten years, twenty years. Like, why did nobody mention this to me? And you know, it's and, and I hope that through this you know through the program, you know, people who go through it are just um, able to you know just to have that that kind of language about the why and to make some of those decisions that on you know on the face of it might seem really odd like why are you just waiting for three minutes you've got so much to do so much to get on with but if the conditions are not right if the attention is not you know there or if the the, the load of instructions that you've just bombarded at them is too too great it's not going anywhere but I, I do think as well it's important to pick up on that as well that um, that there is also a reason why you weren't told all of this when you first started teaching. I mean I don't know about you but for me t- teaching for the first couple of years was survival. You know I was working I mean, all weekend, every weekend and every evening and and so if I had been trying to take all of this on that I know now 
um, I wouldn't have been. And so there is something valuable in taking that time away yeah. from the classroom. And, and like you say, what you've been really careful to do is to to release things kind of slowly, to give people time to reflect on it, to give, because, I, I mean, we couldn't, I you couldn't have learned all of these things no. at the same time as being a novice teacher and all of those other things. There's things that you can lay the ground for, but, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. you know, it's all part of it and, and that time to reflect, I think, is, is so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've, uh, I've got a couple, couple more questions. Um, we talk about worked examples in the in the program and, um, uh, and and you know lots of people are familiar with worked examples in some form or other but I want to ask the question why are worked examples effective? I think because they have when you do something that is not the the learners doesn't have to go all the way then you design the question in a way that you know that they're in a stage to answer so so I in a way, design a practice that is right for them rather than give them whatever is there to know and let them walk the walk by themselves. It's appreciating the process. Like they have to first to see, then to only deal with specific points along the process and only gradually uh, work the way, their way through uh, doing that by themselves. Because mm -hmm. if we give the problem as it is, then we're not appreciating the prerequisites yeah. and, and the meaning making and everything that students have to apply in order to um, to solve a problem. Because I think when we were talking about experts and novices earlier, I mean, the, the thing is that you don't realise all the steps that you take. I mean, Christie's equation is a really exactly. good example. There's lots of context that you bring to things. I used to kind of get really, it's an example I've given a few times, but I used to get really frustrated by how it was that I could tell students and they'd be really good at working out the charge on ions and then I tell them to go and work out the formula of something like magnesium chloride and I wouldn't be able to understand why they couldn't put that together yeah. because I wouldn't understand that what I was doing in between that working out the formula of the iron putting that together is something else there were lots of, of stages there so there's that that kind of expert blindness yeah. um yeah. but I think there's there's also what you've been talking about a lot um, Efrat in the kind of constructing things for yourself constructing that meaning for yourself and sometimes you have to kind of help them to do that but if we just give them a blank sheet if we just give them a finished example they don't get the chance to kind of construct that thinking for themselves yeah. and if we give them too much of an open then then it, it's too far for them to go in that one step so it, it's kind of hand-holding to get to the stage where they can construct it themselves rather than either giving them the finished example and they've no idea how you got there or saying just go for it and climb that mountain you know yeah. without any crampons and, and and then then what do you do so and for, for anybody listening to Nikki's um, like um, uh, metaphors of crampons there um, still, <laughs> still behind her uh, is, a, is a wonderful picture of an alpine uh, mountain and lake and what have you so the crampons I think is that, like it's totally, <laughs> totally relevant at this point so uh, for a a, f a final um, question. I think it, it, like, I, I want to. We were going to talk about a whole whole um, set of different things, but I'd really quite like to focus in, particularly on on um, making meaning and, and <laughs> making knowledge useful. About these these kind of two things we've talked about. You know about attention and working memory, and we've talked about novices and expertise and what have you. But you know, in in the program we talk about how how you, how to make learning meaningful and how to make knowledge useful. So
So, and I, I'm just really interested in your own expert experience of, of techniques that you've used in order to, to help students to do that, to help them to make learning meaningful and to make knowledge useful. And given our time constraints and whatnot, it, um, are you able to talk a little bit about techniques that each of you have used to help people to do that in subjects that you've taught? I just want to say one thing that with experience, I learned to slow down and break things into steps, which as 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 more as I teach things more and more times, I do it more and more and I think more and more effectively. And this is something that is crucial because um, so this is one thing. And then also uh, give more um, opportunities to to listen to the meaning that students make along the way. So I know where I am. So, so I think there is a lot of ideas. Many things come to mind, but these are two um, things that I'm really explicitly thinking about, like and, breaking it up and then. And just for to be really clear, when we talk about making meaning, what do we, what do you, what do you actually think that is? What is <laughs> that process? How do you de describe it? I put a lot of thought into it because I think it's important because um, at one point, you know, the phrase meaningful learning became so meaningless uh, <laughs> that I um, wanted to put it back, like to to think about it more clearly. So it's obviously something that I thought about a lot. And the way I think about it is that, um, you know, I take into consideration our brain and then I think how it works and then something becomes meaningful when I can just take it like take something new and actually plug it into what I already have and use it so until I'm able uh, even even using a new word so as long as it's just a new uh, bubble of I don't know syllable, syllables then it's it's meaningless but once I can use it even imitate it in a in a way that brings me something uh, for example I'm able to ask for something so only then when I get this feedback from the world uh, that what I did with this new item is successful. So I think that this is meaning, like being able to take something new, integrate it with what I already have, like the structure that I already have in my mind, and then use it. I truly believe that there is some kind of feedback that actually enhances that 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 yeah. loop. So this is how I think about it. And, and so far, I think it, I'm able to explain most instances with this yeah. kind of uh, uh, thinking. And Nikki, what about you? How do you make I learning think, meaningful? <laughs> but I, I guess it, it comes in the planning process, first of all, for me. So before I even start to teach something or plan a lesson, I, I need to look back and I need to look at what it connects with and what I need to make sure they're thinking about what what I need to help them build those connections and then and then from it, it's a lot of kind of allowing students to elaborate on ideas and so there's something about being quite directive in the stuff that you want them to make links with but then being really open as well and allowing 
you know, acknowledging that you're the one with the hindsight, acknowledging that sometimes you have to point out or nudge them towards those connections that they want to, you want mm. them to make, but ultimately allowing them to make those connections. And so there's a lot of kind of making links before, referring back to things, activating, you know, checking that the context, that you can change the context. And so, you know, when um, people talk about like shed loads of pla- um, practice, you know, people like um, Adam Boxer and, and so on, what they're talking about actually is doing something over and over again in lots and lots of contexts so that it applies to lots of things. But I think it's beyond that as well. There's a really infamous um, example in science that I've used quite a few times and, and any science teacher will kind of nod the head and I apologize if I get the vegetables wrong <laughs> but um, there's a really there's a, a biology GCSE required practical where they look at osmosis in I think potatoes and basically what they do is they have a potato and they they weigh it and I really apologize if I get this like slightly wrong because I'm not a biology teacher but they take the mass of the potato before and after soaking it in water and and so it's a it's a you know an ex, a practical that they all will have done um and in the exam question I think it was a couple of years ago it was the same practical the same principles the same process the same biology and so on <laughs> but they use a carrot instead of a potato and lots of students came out of that exam saying we hadn't done that nobody had taught us that and and it's a it underlines so many things but it but it it, 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 for me it really kind of brings home the fact that for them it was all about the potato it wasn't about the water it wasn't about the osmosis it wasn't about the math or the change in the math or I mean whatever that process was behind it again I might have got it wrong for all I know but but definitely there was something about taking the math of something and, and that that was the key and 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 because they fixated on the potato <laughs> it became meaningless for them and it's a yeah. it's you know so it's that ability to help people to not just see the thing that you're teaching but to see it in a whole range of contexts so that they when they see it somewhere else it means something to them even though it's not a potato and and meaning making is the thing that other people do with that you know i make meaning for me and you make meaning for you and so as a teacher we can do so much but there's there's a whole other thing that has to be going on and that's so hard yeah yeah i just been thinking that one of the most important things that i really learned a lot about along the way is to open these um windows of opportunities for the students to talk about their own meaning because only then i can find out that my explanation was not in the right level for example and they only think about the potato and not about anything else so this is really something i think that um uh, harry fletcher's wood um book really uh responsive teaching it was really really clear there that you really have everything that you do you have to get back from them because if they have to make the meaning then you have to know what kind of meaning they've been doing and respond to that I was just gonna say that 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 what is taught is not the same as what is learned it I mean gosh, yeah any you know how many times have you given the most amazing explanation that you think is just the best thing ever and everyone will understand it and yeah. then you look at um a child's version of it and you think I said that you know and <laughs> you have completely constructed a completely yeah. different um take on it and yeah, that, that reflection, that questioning, asking people to elaborate, applying it and so on, that's how you get to it. But but actually understanding all of 
the kind of meaning behind what you've just said itself is I think helped massively by just understanding those things about like you know schemas and scripts and mental models and you yeah. know networks and and you know and going right the way back to you know the the pyramid models and building blocks and things like that you know it puts this kind of depth of understanding that you know may I think helps make so much more sense when after giving the very best explanation that you possibly can, providing the very, very best opportunities for practice, that they come up with something completely different or nothing at all. And, or nothing at all. And that, yeah. that's where Rob Coe's what, make great, what makes great teaching report was such a light bulb moment for me because for the first, I, I don't, and I feel ashamed saying it now, but I, I don't think I'd been thinking about what the student was doing. I'd been thinking about what I was doing, what I was telling them, what I was, you know the activities we were doing but but what the, the, the light bulb moment was oh yeah they have to actually struggle a little bit and build that themselves and 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 that's it so yeah schemas and and links and 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 the, the idea that, that our long-term memory isn't just this bucket that we kind of throw things in right chuck another bit of knowledge in chuck a bit no sometimes you have to sometimes you have to forget things and that's a really hard process we don't like letting go of things that we're kind of really attached to but but even if we don't have to do that you're integrating and you're finding how to make those links and that's what we're trying to help students to do and that is tricky and that is hard and that's why we need to think about how it works. Mm-hmm. One thing about it that I learned during this um, crazy uh, period of uh, remote teaching is um, I think that the phrase that I heard a lot um, maybe pr- like from many many teachers um, is we can't feel the classroom like we can't get the feedback that we usually get and I can't, I often use it to say that that's very, very true. We can feel them, but we also have to think about it that even in real classrooms, we, when we do feel them, uh, we don't really feel them and we have to yeah. make opportunities for, for us to get some some data <laughs> about how they yeah. uh, feel, but also f- how they think and what they think about. And, you know, I think that may well be a wonderful place to, to finish. Um, I'm, I'm really mindful of, of, of your time um, today. Um, and, you know, there's just a whole ton of other things that, um, that I'd, I'd just love to keep talking because it's, <laughs> it's honestly, it's always fascinating, always enlightening. But I want to say thank you to you both um, for, for sharing your your thoughts on, you know, on, on these these topics today, on this kind of process of designing the science of learning program and on, you know, like some of, some of these kind of key issues of, of uh, sometimes really highly abstract um, aspects of, of, of a learning process um, and also just sharing some insights into the kind of potential value of knowing about those to you know a teacher in a classroom who's simply trying to you know not, not necessarily always do better but just do you know do well enough and to, to optimize you know what they can do each day little by little um, I think that's a, it's a really kind of powerful message um, and, and that you know this might give us a bit of an insight into you know what's going on in in students heads during you know that kind of process of moving from you know novice to expertise and so on so thank you so much